So this morning our lesson title is Fight for Truth, and hopefully you realize there are some, some things worth fighting for, and truth is definitely one of those. And our objective today is for us as, a, as followers of Christ to learn to reject all false teaching and to hold fast to genuine faith, love, and prayer. So we, we definitely want to have the negative, the rejection of false teaching. There's a lot of it. There was a lot back in Paul's day. There's a lot today. But we want, definitely want to hold on to faith, love, and prayer. Now our study text today is, comes from 1 Timothy chapter 1. We'll read uh, verses 1 down through chapter 2, verse 6. And our family theme is genuine faith. Do we all want genuine faith? Hopefully faith is one of those who want the real thing of. Uh, I know uh, when it comes to, uh, I know folks' soda preferences, they've got the ones they like if they drink soda or if they drink a certain kind of coffee. They want the real deal, not, the, not, not, the, not a false one. And the same thing should come with our faith. We want the genuine one. And I'm going to do something a little different than Dad normally does. Uh, let's open up to 1 Timothy chapter 1. I'm going to read the text in its entirety, okay? Just kind of take my time, go through it, bear with me. been through it several times, but as folks who attend here at Ambassador know, sometimes I'm not the smoothest reader. We'll go through this, okay? I promise we'll, we'll get through this. And I, I just want us to take in the Word before we dig into it and just uh, let it get into our minds before we really start digging into it today together. And we will uh, highlight certain passages we go through our key points later on. So 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ, by command of God, our Savior, and of of Christ, Jesus, our hope. To Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God, the Father, and Christ Jesus, our Lord. As I urged you when I was going up to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus, so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, not to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies which promote speculations rather than stewardship from God that is by faith. The aim of our charge is to love... Sorry, in verse 5. The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Certain persons, having swerved from these have wandered away into faith into vain discussions, desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying or what things or the, or the things which they uh, make confident assertions. Down in verse eight, or sorry, verse nine. <clears throat> now we know we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully. Understanding this that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and the disobedient, for the ungodly and for sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who strike their fathers and mothers, for murderers, the sexually immoral, men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, and and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine. In accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God, which I have been with which I have been entrusted, down to verse twelve. I thank Him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because He judged me faithful, appointing me to His service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. 
and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with faith, with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ, that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom I am foremost. But I received mercy for this, for this reason that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage a, the good warfare, holding, holding faith and a good conscience. By rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith, among whom are Hymenus and Alexander, whom I handed over to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. Now let's read chapter 2, verses 1 down through 6. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, and that, they may, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good. And it's pleasing in the sight of, our, of God our Savior, who desires of, that all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Jesus Christ, who gave himself a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. So that's our text today. That's 1 Timothy 1, down through uh, chapter 2, verse 6. And we will be diving into that deeper today. We have three key truths we want to talk about today as we look at this text. Believers reject false, doc- or false teachers and false doctrine and grow in, in godly love. Now, we talked about earlier in our key, uh, what we want to do today. We have the negatives there to reject the, f- the false teachers and their false doctrine. We don't just want to reject that's what's bad. We want to grow in our, in our godly love. Our key point number two is God saves undeserving sinners and calls them to stand for true faith. And hope we understand everybody has been saved. Or all, we are all undeserving, uh, undeserving sinners, but God, is, in his graciousness, has given us the faith that we need. And our, our final key truth today is that believers should pray for all people, including those that are in authority. Now, our Bible basics today, what is the role of the son? Of course, we talk to son. Are we talking about just any son? Who are we talking about there? Jesus Christ. What is his role? Anybody have any ideas about that? Okay, he's what we're following. That's good. Anything else? That's definitely true. Well, our answer for today is the answer that we have here is the Son offers forgiveness and saves people from their sins. We find that out in Matthew chapter 9, verse 6, and then in 1 Timothy 1, 15. And he serves the judge over all mankind. That's in John chapter 5, verse 22. But as Brother Dan said, he is definitely our lead. I'll say this, in kids' worship, we have our element we learn each month. And pretty much every, every uh, month, we're going to spend one week talking about how Jesus is our example. And he definitely is our example. He is our lead, the one we want to follow. And where this fits in history, and it's important to realize the, the Bible stands on its own, but it has its place in history. And uh, 1 Timothy, we're reading from today, 
likely written around uh, 62 or 64, and Paul is writing to Timothy, his uh, young protege, his son in the faith, as he said there in the text we just read. And as we just read too, Timothy is the pastor at Ephesus. And this section of the letter, he's going to give us give Timothy and us instruction on how to deal with false teachers and also what to pray for. Some pretty basic stuff, but things we still need to know about. Now, by way of connect this morning, I've got to get those out there. Sorry about that. Here we go. So our connect this morning, I have a question for you. Let's see if we can talk a little bit. Um, why is false teaching so dangerous? Okay. And if we've heard a lie and believe it, especially when it comes to spiritual things, what's that mean for us in eternity? It'll lead us away from, from Christ. It'll lead us into punishment and everlasting torment if we aren't careful. What else is dangerous about false teaching? I know some folks who, are, who were genuinely saved, if they get under a false teacher and start listening to that, sometimes they can be burdened with things that the Bible doesn't say or be misled from their faith and make sure for the wreck of their faith, kind of how Paul talked about there at the end of chapter 1. False teaching is definitely a dangerous thing, and it's, it, was, it was a problem in, in Paul's day that he said, I need to, to address this to Timothy, and uh, it's definitely a problem today in our world. Now, as we look at 1 Timothy, both uh, 1 and 2 Timothy and Titus. Now, those are all books of the Bible. If you're like me, when I tell the kids, I tell them all the T's are together. If they're looking in the, in the New Testament of the Bible, as folks here know, but we'll have a quick little... Bible education. The Bible is split up into two big groups, right? What are the two big groups of books in the Bible? New Testament and Old Testament, okay? So we got that. That's good. I'm glad we got that. And don't worry, I do this every week with the kids and kids worship. They know it too, but we go over it just to make sure because maybe some folks out there don't know. So the Bible is, is 66 books split up in the Old Testament and New Testament. Now, Within those books of each, of each of the Old Testament and New Testament, we kind of split those up in their subject matter, general subjects. So the first four books of the, of, the, of the New Testament, what do we call those? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. What do we call that collective? The Gospels, right? The good news of Christ gives us the bio, there are four biographies about Jesus, who he was, where he came from, and for the most part, what he did is the main thing. Uh, both his miracles, uh, what he did in his life, but also his death and resurrection. Then we have Acts. What category do we have Acts? Anybody remember? It's the early church. It's the history book, right? It's the history. In the Old Testament, we got a lot of history. Then we get all these letters that Paul and a few others wrote. What do we call those? They're letters to different churches and different people. What do we call those? The epistles. Yes, the epistles or the epistles. They're just the letters. Now, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus are a subgroup of epistles. Do you mind what we call those? The pastoral ones, because Timothy was a pastor and Titus was a pastor. So Paul had some things he wanted to address with each of them because, uh, as Dad's often talked about when he became a pastor, uh, he, could, he called up the bookstore in Columbus and said, I need the pastoral guide. And it tells him how to do a wedding, how to do a funeral, how to conduct a business meeting, how to do this and that. Did uh, Titus and Timothy have a manual that Paul could say, here, read this, this will say, be a pastor? No. Paul had to share with him what they needed to do. And, the, and this is where we get a lot of, uh, from 1 Timothy and Titus and 2 Timothy, we get a lot of our instruction of what are the positions of the church? What are the qualifications? That's where this all comes from. 
And that's what Paul was doing here. Now, uh, Timothy, as we saw there in the first opening uh, verses, we'll read it here again in just a second. Uh, Timothy, Paul considered him his son in the, in the faith. And we read about him not just here in 1 Saint Timothy, but we can see how much uh, Timothy had to do in, in Paul's ministry. And uh, he's mentioned in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, 1 Corinthians 4, and Philippians chapter 2. And here we can see that those are times when Paul was with... Uh, was uh, was having Timothy help in other areas of ministry. But as we just read, and we'll read here in a minute, at this time, Timothy is the pastor there at uh, Ephesus, and he's having to deal with some false teaching. Now, could you imagine being a young pastor and having to deal... You're just trying to... Timothy knew the truth. He was teaching the truth. But then have to, on top of that, have to deal with false teaching. He had quite the burden to bear, but uh, Paul was here to equip and help him through that. So this was in the early uh, first cent- or the mid first century, probably in the mid sixties, is when uh, Timothy was there. And uh, Ephesus was really it was a large city. It had a flourishing economy, so everybody thought everything's a okay. That if, if the money's rolling, everybody thinks everything's okay. But we'll find out things were not okay in Ephesus, uh, much like the rest of the world even today. Uh, but there were a lot of cults. There were different sects of different uh, religions there. There was uh, witchcraft going on, sorcery, and there was even a cult to the goddess Artemis. Uh, so she w- they had that, that cult going on there that Timothy had to deal with. And this is where Paul left Timothy to be pastor and have to deal with these things. It seemed like a daunting task, task, but it's really no different in the world today. We've got all this going, even in America, we've got a lot of things going on around us, a lot of false religions around us. And we can use what Paul tells Timothy here to uh, help us to understand how to combat that, that false teaching. So our first key truth today is believers reject false teachers and false doctrine, and grow in godly love uh, as we go through our lives. Who wants to, we'll go back to 1 Timothy chapter 1. Anybody here want to read verses 1 through 11? Anybody up for it? You got it, got it, Brother Dan? Chapter 1, 1 through 11.
Okay, so here Paul opens up his letter like he does a lot, and it wasn't just a thing Paul did. It was a common practice at the time. He would name himself, the person he's writing to, and just kind of give a general greeting. And he wanted to make sure that Timothy understood whose authority he was writing under. Was Paul writing because he had studied enough and got the right degrees? Whose authority was he writing under? And why was he an apostle to have that authority? Because of who? Because Christ, God had called him. He said, I'm called an apostle because Christ has called me. God has called me. So that is why I'm doing this. It's under the command of God. And as we know, the scriptures are, these are not just Paul's words. These are the Holy Spirit's words for Timothy and for the church today. So according to verses 3 and 4, uh, Paul, again, had left Timothy at Ephesus to deal with the problem of false doctrines going on there. And he wanted to uh, Timothy to make sure he was dealing with those who were teaching the wrong things, but also he was te- that Timothy himself stayed true to what was right. And his do- the doctrine of the church, he wanted to make sure that Timothy was sticking to that. And where was Timothy going to find the doctrine of the church? Just on his own merits? He was going to know it from God's Word, right? And we have to understand that as we think about it, the Scripture, the real, why, why is Scripture reliable? How, how come Timothy, why should he have looked at it for his, uh, his doctrine? And so should we. Why, why do we look at Scripture? Do we just look at Scripture because it's old and it's been around a long time? Is that why it's true? Because it came from God, exactly, Dan. It, it is God, it is God breathed, it is God's word to us. Now, there are two specific uh, sources of false teaching that Paul wanted Timothy to use God's word to combat. And he says there in verse 4, the myths or, or, or fables that may be going on, which may have uh, included some legends regarding angels and false gods. And then he talks about these endless genealogies. And they were used to profit that, that these things were out there all over the place. People talking about, well, this and that and all this genealogy, and this is the line it comes from, or these, just these myths that were out there. And I will say this, this wasn't just a pro, this, this, this problem didn't stop in Timothy's day. It's still going on today. There are people out there, um, I'll say if you turn on TV and a lot of what you hear there, for the most part, is people making it up as they go along. They'll make up a story about, I went to heaven and I'm greater than you and you need to know my experience there and you need to buy my book so you can learn how you can go to heaven too and tell other people about it and sell your books. There's a lot of things out there just... Uh, amazing things that are out there. And I'll put in one plug. Uh, there's a podcast, YouTube sta- uh, channel I like to, to watch. It's called Fighting for the Faith. And this gentleman, what he does, his name is Chris Roseborough, and he is a he is a Lutheran uh, pastor out in South Dakota, out in North Dakota and uh, Minnesota, out that way. Uh, he is not one of the Lutherans. As we think about, they've gone really far left. He sticks to the Word of God. And again, we wouldn't agree on every point of doctrine, but he does a good job of not just pulling up false teaching that is out that these folks are putting out there, but he aligns it with God's Word. Because a lot of things we may hear, whether even if it's here or any place, if it doesn't square with the Word of God, we need to throw it out. And uh, that is, it's an important ministry right now that we know what God's Word says, because otherwise we could fall prey to these uh, myths and fables and these endless genealogies that Paul warned Timothy about. We need to make sure that we are focusing on Christ and His Word because we need to stick to what, what God's Word has to say. And, and Timothy was up against the, that false teaching and counting that message, and so are we today. We as Christians, we need to be ready to identify uh, the, the wrong thing by knowing what God's Word says. And the only way we're going to know what God's Word says is being in it and knowing what God has to tell us. So in contrast, those false teachings which mis- mislead people and actually ends up hating people because of what it does to them, 
or it, it doesn't care about people. Paul tells Timothy there in verse 5 that his doctrine needs to come from a pure heart, out of love, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. And that is going to end up being sincere do- or good doctrine that's going to come right from God's Word. And these false teachers, they may have deemed themselves on the, a, an authority on these things they don't really understand, they don't really know about, they don't, they don't understand themselves. But if we can stand on God's Word, we will counter the false teaching that they, that they may put out there. Now there in verses 8 through 11, Paul talks about some people who are taking the law of the Old Testament and making it be something, a means to salvation that was never intended to be. Uh, we learn here in these verses 8 through 11 that what was, the, and Paul talks about other places, was the law meant to bring salvation? What was the law really meant to do as we look at Paul's teaching on it? Yes, it was to show us we were sinners, condemn us for that sin, and there turn to God for the salvation that we need. Now, in and of itself, the law did what it was supposed to do. It was supposed to turn people to God. But people turned it into, if I can follow this law, then I will be good in and of myself. And that's not what it's all about. And as people were teaching this, actually at the end of verse 7, Paul talks about uh, they which make confident assertions. The people who were teaching this false doctrine, they were confident in what they were teaching. They sounded confident. They sounded like they were authorities. Uh, I often tell people at, in my job, sometimes I have to answer questions and make calls on things and I tell people all the time, honestly, I'm not, sometimes I'm not positive it's the right answer. But I tell people, if you say it with enough confidence, people will go with it. And that's what happens a lot of times with false teaching, too. These guys get on with these big degrees they've got, or I've studied this for so long, and I've heard this and that. They will talk with confidence about things that they really don't understand. And these teachers that were taking the law to the wrong place, they were definitely doing it. Now, like Timothy, we have to be equipped with God's Word if we're going to stand up against false teaching because it's not just enough to, we need to shine the light on the false teachings out there. We need to be ready to show what the truth is so people know what to believe and how they need to follow it. So we need to be, be, make sure we are taught by God's Word and we are teaching others by God's Word. So as our point of application today, we have to, re, to reject false teaching and we want to grow in love for God and for others. Because we want to save those, we want not to save those, we want to, to direct those who are bound by that false teaching toward the truth of God's word. So what can help us to recognize God's, uh, or what can help us to recognize false teaching and defend the true gospel? We know the truth teaching, okay? We know what, what the truth should be, okay? So sometimes we may know it, but what else do we need to do? As we hear teaching, where should we go as we hear teaching to compare it to? To the Bible, right? Even the Bereans. Paul was teaching them the truth, but Acts tells us the Bereans would hear what Paul said, and they would go home and make sure to align with the Scripture. And there is never any, there should never be any hesitancy to do that, no matter who the teacher is. Because any teacher could have, not be a false teacher. They could say something wrong, they not quite align with God's Word. And if they are a good teacher, they'll want to know about those things they, need, they, they may need to look at again. And we want to make sure that we are anything we may hear, no matter how respected they be, may be or how much authority we think they have, we want to make sure that what they say squares with God's word. Uh, another question for us. How do we grow in our love for God and for others? How can we do that?
maybe by getting God's word, reading God's word, understanding it, sharing with others. If we do that, we will become closer to God by hearing what he has to say for us, and that can't help but flow into love for other people. So that is very, very important. So believers need to reject false teachers and false doctrine and to grow uh, in in godly love, both for God and for others. But our second key truth today is God saves undeserving sinners and calls them to stand for true faith. How many here are undeserving sinners? I think we all can say that. Who wants to read verses 12 through 20 of chapter 1 of Timothy? It's 1 Timothy 1, 12 through 20. Anybody want to read those? Okay, so here Paul talks about how he is, he is referring to himself as being entrusted with the gospel. And Paul doesn't say it's because I was such a great guy all my life. He is blown away by the grace and the mercy that he personally has experienced. I mean, there in verse 12, he thanks, he's very thankful for his own salvation and his ministry, that God would even choose him based on what he had done. I mean, hopefully we see here, I mean, you can look at things on Paul's resume he has on himself here. He said he was appointed to service, though formerly I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent opponent. Those are three pretty big things that Paul kind of had himself dug into a hole, but was that hole too deep for God to pull him out of? Absolutely not. And God was able to use him, and Paul wants uh, his readers to know that if God can use a sinner like him, all those things he used to do uh, to, to go against the work of Christ, if Christ can use him, Paul wants you to know God can use us too. I mean, he had been persecuting people, but but he still got God's mercy and his grace there at the end of verses 13 down through verse 14. He talks about that. I mean, he was overwhelmed by that that God would even call him, first of all, to be saved, much less to be to be an apostle, an apostle, and to be entrusted with the gospel to uh, the the Gentiles as he was. Now, as part of his thankfulness, there his thankfulness statement, Paul says he makes a statement uh, in verse 15, I believe it is. Um, yes, verse 15. He makes a statement, he says, he says four, uh, I think it's four other times where, yeah, in, in the uh, pastoral epistles he says this. There in verse 15 he says, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. Now, is all of God's word trustworthy? Absolutely is. And it's all, it's all, uh, it's all, um, deserving of full acceptance. But Paul is making a point here. This is something, if something's trustworthy, that means it has a history, right? Uh, how many today, every time I drive, once in a while I'll drive downtown, I'll take 471, 
I got to cross a couple bridges. Now, those bridges, the one down by Coney Island, the one on 471 heading to downtown, those have been there a long time now as far as I know you guys probably remember when they weren't there or when they got constructed, but they've been there a while, and people don't worry about crossing those bridges because they have a history of being trustworthy. We know we can trust them to cross to cross us over the, the to get us over the river. Well, Paul says this is something in his life, the statement he's getting ready to make is trustworthy and is deserving of full acceptance. It's something that, that Timothy and others that read it can count on. Now, like I said, Paul had, gives the same statement on certain things uh, throughout the pastoral epistles. Uh, he'll make this He'll use this phrase in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1, also in 1 Timothy 4, 9, 2 Timothy 2, 11, and also in Titus. And these are key truths that he wants to make sure that Timothy and Titus grab hold on as young pastors and understand that we need to look at those two. And the statement that Paul says is so true, he says, uh, let's see there in verse 15. First of all, that Christ came in the world to save sinners of whom I am foremost. So Paul wants to understand who Christ is and why he came into the world because that is what all of our doctrine depends on, is who Christ is and why he came into the world. And Paul wants us to know that this, uh, that is the, the key thing. But furthermore, Paul, when he says things that the saying is faithful or trustworthy, he says it's been proven over and over again to be reliable and true. He wants us to hold on to that. Because, as I said, all of the, all of the Bible is, is trustworthy and, and reliable. But there are some things that are extra special we want to pay special attention to and hold on to even in those tough times. And knowing who Christ is and that he came to save sinners, even a sinner like Paul, even a sinner like me, even a sinner like you, we need to hold on to that truth. Now, at the end of chapter 1, Paul talks about a controversial topic. A lot of times, especially when it comes to uh, discussions we may have with our uh, Calvinist brothers, and sisters, when it comes to this doctrine. But here Paul talks about the importance of maintaining sound doctrine, that Timothy stick by the stuff, and he talks there in verses 18 down through 20 about two gentlemen, Hymenius and Alexander. And what did Paul say they had done with their faith? What have they made out of their faith? Shipwreck. Now, I've never. I've been on a few boats, like it may out Lake Erie and down a river here, or there. Ron and I went to Savannah this summer. We went on a lake or a, a boat there, boat ride there. But um, shipwreck is that usually a good thing or a bad thing? Bad thing. I mean, you think about Titanic, the history of the Titanic, things like that. Shipwrecks are never good. And here Paul talks about being shipwrecked of the faith, and he he even goes far as say he has turned them over to Satan if they would learn not to blaspheme. Now, that, that basically means that Paul has excommunicated them from the church. He has broken fellowship. Now, these guys didn't make, didn't make a mistake one day and had a misinterpretation of Scripture. They obviously had a pattern of what happened in their lives. Now, when it comes to shipwrecking of faith, as real about as we say that it is possible that you can turn away from your faith and be to a point where you've rejected it so far that you have made shipwreck of it is unrecoverable. Now, that's not something that happens overnight. We'll be sure of that. But our Calvinist brothers and sisters say, well, those who, like here, Alexander and Hymenius and others that Paul taught making shipwreck of their faith, they were never, tr- never truly saved to start with. Well, my contention to that would be if they were never truly saved, they didn't have a faith that could really be sh- shipwrecked. Now, there are plenty of people who make a confession, may put on a good act for a while that may have walked away that I will give them, may have never been saved. But I think what Paul says here, they had the faith. 
but they made shipwreck of it. Let me read to you from Stanley Outlaw's uh, commentary of this. This comes from the Randall House Bible Commentary uh, on 1 Thessalonians through Philemon, uh, page 197 if you ever want to look it up. But uh, Stanley Outlaw says this, Hall's warning is not merely a hypothetical or is not merely hypothetical or theoretical. Such abandonment of faith and good conscience does not ha- and good conscience doesn't happen. Calvin insisted that those who make, who make such shipwreck may have, may have not sincerely and honestly embraced the faith. But Scripture does not seem to be concerned about questioning the genuineness of faith once possessed by apostates. In such passages as the New Testament, as this in the New Testament, simply points out, without qualification, that there are those who once subscribed to Christianity who do totally abandon it. The fact should be a warning to us concerning the need to be faithful and steadfast. Whether such faith uh, of such was ever genuine or not, only God can tell. So we have to understand what these two gentlemen did. Now, Hymenius, he was a believer who had turned away from the faith, and he had opposed Paul. He actually, he, like I said, he was a follower of the faith. He actually turned into an enemy of the faith. And again, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, we see that Hymenius didn't just hurt himself. He was trying to bring others down with him. He was doing damage to others' faith, which is a horrible, horrible thing. Now, the other one that, that Paul mentions is Alexander, and he may be the same Alexander that Paul mentions later on in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 15 and 16, or 14 and 15, but Paul says that Alexander did a lot of harm to him. And what exactly that was, we may not know the full extent, but there are reasons why Paul warned Timothy about what happened to these guys. Because they were once followers of the faith and they made shipwreck. And Paul wanted to make sure, as, as he tells Timothy, he wants Timothy to make good warfare by standing up for the truth, not just fighting off these false teachers, but standing up for the truth and fighting for truth. It wasn't just a casual thing. It was a warfare, something that took strategy and took vigilance that Paul wanted Timothy to make sure he had in his life and was bringing forth in his teaching to his church there at Ephesus. So our point of application here is to thank God for saving you and using you to advance his kingdom. Paul was thankful for that, and we can be thankful the same way, because Paul was definitely undeserved. There's no doubt about that. I mean, I, before I was saved, I never killed a Christian. I never tried to have one put in prison. But Paul had done that, but if God can, be sa- can save him, God can save any of us. And we be thankful that even though we don't deserve his salvation, God is still there for us to uh, offer his grace to us. So what emotions arise in you when you consider how God saved you when you didn't deserve it? Anybody ever think about that? Amazement, yes. I mean, when we think about how holy God is and how sinful we are, even if we're, quote-unquote, we're pretty decent guys and gals, but when we think about the holiness of God, we don't even compare. The amazement is definitely, do you think, think Paul would say he had amazement that God, that God saved him? Absolutely, Paul did, and, and we, we can have the same thing. Now, Paul compared Timothy's service to God with waging warfare. In what ways are, are living for and serving Christ like warfare? It is a constant battle. Does Satan take that war pretty seriously? Absolutely. His hatred for God is turned, to hatred, is turned on us as men as his creation, and we have to understand that 
we need to take it seriously because our enemy takes it seriously. And it is a constant dance. It is a constant battle that we have to be on guard for. So our next key truth is, as Paul kind of shifts gears, we will too. Believers pray for all people, including for those who are in authority. Let's turn to 1 Timothy chapter 2. 1 Timothy 2, let's look at verses 1 through 7. Anybody read those? Okay, so Paul kind of shifts gears here from combating false doctrine to actually actually something else we need to do as Christians. We need to combat false doctrine and false teachers. We also need to pray for all people, including those who have authority over us. And we need to make sure that uh, this mentality is, goes, goes uh, hand in hand with our battle against false teaching is making sure that we are not just teaching God's Word, reading God's Word, but we're also praying for those who, are, who God has placed over us. Now, in verse 1... Paul talks about different types of prayers. So he talks about uh, prayers for all men, supplications or petitions. That means making a request to God. Obviously, that's part of prayer. And it, it, that really indicates an urgent need uh, of something we need, whether it's urgent or not, but it's a need we have, and it's a very focused request. Now, the second term Paul talks about there is for prayers. That's just general praying to God. And then the third term is intercessions. What are intercessions? Okay, it could be on your behalf, but also intercession to be for someone else. And maybe somebody's not in a position to pray for themselves or to understand what's going on, but intercession can also be for other people. And hope we pray for each other as much as we pray for ourselves. And then that final term that Paul used there is thanksgivings. Hopefully thanksgiving is a part of all of our prayers, not just asking God what he'd have, what he could get, do for us, but also thanking him for what he has done for us. And we want to make sure that thanksgiving accompanies all of our prayers and our lives uh, Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, Paul talks about that, that Thanksgiving needs to be a big part of our lives. Now, to show uh, that he really meant all men, even his enemies, Paul said that we should even pray for those in authority over us and the kings. Now, we think about back in Paul's day. Was Rome a friend of the Christian? No. But Paul still told Timothy and other places that to pray for those in authority over us. Whether they have the same political leaning we do, whether we agree with everything they've done, it doesn't matter. We need to be praying for them. Even if they are our enemies, as far as things that are making uh, persecution real in our lives, we need to pray for them. Because don't forget, Nero was in charge back then, and Nero was definitely not a, a, uh, a friend to believers. And Paul didn't say, pray for your leaders, except for Nero. God can take him to hell anytime he wants to. He didn't say that. Paul said, pray for Nero. Now, he doesn't flat out say it here, but do you think Paul kind of implied here, or Paul would have said his implication was, that we should pray for their salvation? Absolutely. I, I think it really should be. We should be praying for our leaders, not just that 
The guy that's in now that I really can't say, I don't, I don't just pray that he gets out of office, that my guy gets in. Because politics can come and go. We need to make sure we're praying that God will bring salvation to all men. Because we see it there uh, in verse, let's see, verse 4. Uh, actually, in verse 3, Paul says that this is good and pleasing in the sight of God that we pray for, it, for people uh, in, all, in all areas of life and even those above uh, that are in uh, authority over us. In verse 4, because it's pleased God who desires that all people should be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Salvation is not just for a limited group of people. Paul, uh, God talk, or Peter talks about that God doesn't want to see anyone perish. Uh, John 3.16 says it here. Paul again says that God doesn't want, he wants everybody to come to the saving knowledge of him, to see their faith come alive and to be saved uh, through the knowledge of the truth. And God does not want anyone to perish. Now, the last part there in, in this section, Paul encourages us to pray because there is one mediator between God and men. Now, what is a mediator? Okay. Now, when it comes, uh, Sister Lavenda's in the insurance world, and I'm sure sometimes there are times when a mediator has to be brought in. Is mediator usually first choice or last choice? Last. If you are hiring a mediator, you have tried and tried and tried, and you never can bring the two together. Did God and sinful man need a mediator? Absolutely. No matter what, and God is the one who provides the mediator. God is the mediator. But as far as the sinless God and the sinful man... There is nothing that was ever going to bring those two parties together. But thankfully, God brought his son in the world to be the one to bring the two together. And Paul says that's why we need to be praying. Because we can't, we can't do this on our own, Timothy, and church in the 20, 20th century. We have to be going through that, that mediator that is Christ. And he is going to bring salvation. That's his ministry. And Paul says, that's why I've been brought to the ministry. He said, I can't believe, first of all, God saved me. He said, I'm not, as, as Brother Paul Snodgrass read, Paul the Apostle said, I'm telling you the truth. I'm not lying. I have been appointed the, the Apostle to the Gentiles. Now, we talked about earlier in chapter 1, the, the law. Now, the law had provisions for Gentiles to come in, but if you weren't part of the Jewish faith, you didn't have the truth. Paul said, now I've been entrusted with what that law, to, to, that law did expose our sin, but it's not just for the Jews, but it's for the whole world. As we just read, God wants everyone to come to, to repentance, and that's what God wants us to know here. And he is calling all people, including Gentiles here in Paul and Timothy's day, to, be, uh, to come to the truth and to know the saving power of Christ, our mediator, the one to whom we are praying. Now our part, point of application here at this point of our lesson is, that we need to pray all kinds of prayers for all kinds of people. Is that always easy? No. I will admit, uh, the last few years I've kind of gotten a little too into, I've always liked politics a little bit, but it's easy for me to get upset about some of the things going on, whether it's the abortion issue right now or a lot of things, and that's something to get upset, upset about, don't get me wrong, or even economic issues in theory. But I need to not just be mad at people who are doing it, I need to pray for those people. And praying for enemies is not easy. I'll admit that. We need to make sure that we are doing that in our lives. Now, 
what should we pray for those who are governing us? What should we pray for that Paul, Paul talks about it here, but also why should we in generally? For their wisdom. And I don't care what part of the on, could all politicians use a little more wisdom? Watch some of the political ads. I just shake my head a lot of times. We'll be watching TV and an ad will come on. I was like, what in the world did I even mean? But anyway, they need wisdom. I mean, Paul even talked about in these verses, we need to pray that we can just live a peaceable life. Pray that God will give them wisdom to just leave us alone. But can we count on persecution? We talked about a lot in our church last year, church in general has talked in the last few years. Persecution's coming, right? Yes, Brother Paul. Yes. Yeah, we need them to understand why they're there and what they should be doing. Absolutely, and have that wisdom. But we need to make sure that, that we want to pray that God will give us leaders, because we've been pretty spoiled here in America. The church has pretty much been left, even as our leaders now, things are getting tighter, no doubt about it. But they'll say, yeah, those Christians are crazy, but just leave them alone. But there are a lot of places in the world, in China, they're not that way, and I don't think it's going to be that long here. We need to pray that as long as we can live peaceably, let us do it. But as Christians, let's not let that peaceable life make us too lazy as it has, I think, in the past. Why is it especially important to pray for those who are lost? Why should we pray for the lost? We just talked about there in verse 4, I think it was I just read. They're lost, and God wants them to be saved. And just like God used Paul to spread the word, God is using us to spread the word. We may not be a, a... preacher to a whole people group like Paul was start spreading the gospel, but we still have uh, a job to do. Now, those who were earlier, um, I passed out some pieces of paper. One thing i like to challenge you on as we go out of our service today is take that piece of paper and write down some people you need to pray for. Maybe it's a neighbor you don't get along with. Maybe it's a neighbor you really like. Maybe it's just somebody who's in need that you need to pray for. Maybe it's our politicians. Let's put into action, not just, and as I talked earlier, we, talk, we spent a lot of time about false teaching. Maybe it's praying for those false teachers, that God would have them repent of the damage they may have done, that they don't make shipwreck of their faith. But let's just realize that God has a work for us to do, just like he had the uh, work for the Apostle Paul. Let's go ahead and bow our heads, let's pray. Father, we are so thankful for your word. Lord, I pray that we will know your word and be in your word, Lord, that when false teaching comes our way and false teachers, we can expose that, Lord. Lord, not to build up ourselves, but to bring glory to you and bring people to salvation, because we know that's what you want. Lord, I pray that you'll help us each and every day, Lord, not just pray for ourselves and what we want. Lord, let us pray for those who are over, over us, Lord, in leadership. Lord, that you will change their hearts, give them wisdom, Lord, that you will bring them to salvation. And Lord, folks that are all around us all the time, Lord, I pray that you'll help us to do that each and every day. Help us to, uh, to bring glory to you in all we do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, Next week, we will be in 1 Timothy chapter 4. The title lesson is Show the Way. Thank you.